What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can hit me up over on Twitter, at JoeOrico99, and also at EthosFantasyBB. Make sure you go and check out EthosFantasyBB if you haven't already. That is where all of our new baseball content is dropped from on Twitter, whether it be podcasts, articles, or different notes that go out right on Twitter themselves, polls, everything that we do on the baseball side, at EthosFantasyBB. And you can check out all of our work right at the source, at SportsEthos.com as well. Basketball, football, hockey, and baseball, of course. Fantasy, wagering, team coverage. We have it all. Go check it out, at SportsEthos.com. Now, today we are doing our final pitching review show. I debated whether or not to just make it a round number of 10 shows, but we're going to end up doing just nine SP reviews. Tomorrow, we will get into the relief pitching review show with Greg Jewett. Now, you guys might have seen him over on the CBS podcast a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was a week and a half ago, maybe now, doing something kind of similar to what I had planned here and you know, it just happened to be that way. Uh, you guys know I've been doing these review shows throughout the offseason, trying to bring on some people to help us with the reviews. We had Patrick David and Torres on right at the beginning of the offseason. And then Michael Simeone, of course, to help us with our starting pitching reviews. My plan was to have Greg on the entire time. And just by the way it worked out, it's going to be kind of close to when the CBS pod was dropped. I think it was December 20th when that one came out. So just 10 days apart, it's going to be kind of similar subject matter But we have some other topics that we're going to be talking about as well that weren't talked about as much on that pod. We have some other news around relief pitching as well. You know, there's been the Craig Kimbrell signing, uh, Taylor Rogers signing in San Francisco. We're going to talk to him about that. We're going to ask him about Aroldis Chapman and Alex Reyes, what he expects from those guys if and when they sign. They both should sign, what his expectations will be, and a host of other topics regarding relief pitchers, the elite tier of relief pitchers in 2022. So apologies if you guys already saw uh, the CBS pod, Frank beat me to the punch bowl there in getting Greg on the show sooner. Frank Stample, that is. Uh, he beat me there. He got him on a little bit sooner. So there is going to be some similar subject matter probably, uh, but we'll try and make it a little bit unique uh, from that podcast as well. But, of course, I'm rambling here already, and it's only a couple minutes in. We are going to be doing, like I said, our last starting pitching review show. It's going to be a couple more pitchers than we typically do on a show like this, usually five or six. I think we're going to do about seven starting pitchers today, and there is one particular that we're going to end on that, you know, if you guys know me and have followed me for a while, maybe if you're a keen listener, you might know who I'm talking about here when I say it's somebody that I've talked about quite a bit, and he'll be one of the last guys, probably the last guy uh, that we're going to get to today. But we'll save that for a little bit later on. We're going to start off with a couple of Los Angeles Angels first off here. Patrick Sandoval, and he's somebody who has actually interested me quite a bit in terms of his early draft price. Now, let's first of all look, first of all, Sandoval made a real rhyme there. Let's look at what he did last year, 148 innings pitched for a putrid Angels team. Now, they had their moments earlier in the season where they were pretty good, and it did look like for a moment there that they were going to make some noise in the American League West, possibly win the division maybe, but they ended up 73-89. and He only won six games for them in 27 starts, despite putting up a 291 ERA, giving you good strikeout numbers and maybe slightly high walk numbers, uh, to be honest. 9.4% walk rate. That was probably the worst characteristic for him there. But he still gave you a 291 ERA, a 3.09 FIP, 391 XERA, 367 XFIP. 
he was still giving you very good numbers. The actual product there, of course, a sub three ERA, the indicator show it should have been probably a little bit higher than that, but not too much higher that it would really cause that much concern for you there as somebody who's going to be drafting him. And the draft price for uh, Patrick Sandoval right now, pretty similar to what his teammate that we're going to talk about in a minute, also going in that same range, it's 213 with a minimum pick of 157 and a maximum of 255. So between 157 and 255, anywhere in that range, really. I mean, I guess 157 is maybe a little bit early for Sandoval, but I don't feel that bad about it at the same time. I really like what the Angels have done this offseason. I think that there is good potential for him to win a lot more than six games, give you similar numbers to what he did last year in terms of his uh, ratios. And that was really something that bothered a lot of people was his 1.34 whip. His, his BABIP was pretty high last season at 316 probably 15, 20 points higher than where it should be. Maybe something that goes down a little bit next year and probably, possibly anyway, we could see that whip go down. Now, in terms of the walk rate, that's another reason why the whip was a little bit high. Uh, you know, it's another thing that he's kind of needs to work on for sure. We've seen him also put up over his career and granted, we're not looking at a big sample size here. Most of his games did come this past season, but in splashes between 2019 and 2021, we saw 11% walk rate, seven and a half and just under 10 at 9.9 spread out over about 35 games there or so. So there is some potential there. Like we saw it in 20. 20, uh, yeah, in 2020, over 36 innings, just a 7.5% walk rate. So he can get that number down potentially, and I think that would make the number probably in terms of his whip, possibly you could be looking at a career high. He could get it below 1.2, which would be his lowest that he's done. But I think it's well within reason to expect that somewhere you know, around, let's call it a 9% walk rate, 24 25% strikeout rate giving you all right whip with good uh, ERA numbers. And potentially, like I said a second ago, more wins considering the Angels and what their lineup could look like and what it will look like heading into the season. Taylor Ward projected to lead off, followed by Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, Anthony Rendon, Hunter Renfro, Brandon Drury, Jared Walsh, Logan O'Hoppy, and Luis Renjifo. That's a really solid lineup. When you look at their rotation, you got Otani, Tyler Anderson, uh, Patrick Sandoval, Jose Suarez, and then the fifth member of the rotation that we're going to talk about in a second, who is Reed Detmers. You're looking at a pretty good team. Now, the bullpen, it's all right. It's nothing to write home about. No one really that stands out so much there in terms of being that interesting, even for fantasy purposes, for saves. It's going to be kind of a crapshoot, I think, probably uh, in terms of saves for Los Angeles. But I think the team as a whole is going to be pretty decent, and I think that that supports the argument to draft Patrick Sandoval somewhere around his ADP of 213. It's really not that expensive, and there is a lot of upside there around that pick. All he has to do is give you pretty much the same season he did last year, and that pick would be worth uh, the draft price. He's projected on steamer 166 innings, a 372 ERA. Even if he gives you that at that draft price, I think you'd have to be pretty interested overall. I think it's well worth the draft price. Now let's talk about his teammate now, Reed Detmers, whose draft price is very similar. Just five picks later at 218 is where he's going on average. Reed Detmers is somebody who was very polarizing this past season. There was good stretches. There was bad stretches. If you look at the early parts of the season, March, April, well, not really March, April, May, and June, uh, his ERAs were 519, 524, and 467, respectively, even though he did have that no-hitter mixed in there uh, on May 10th. That was kind of a crazy no-hitter, two strikeout, one walk. Uh, it was kind of weird, and that was his only real good appearance there early in the season. He was pretty poor in the first half of the year. 
Down the stretch, though, we saw a different version of him for the most part. Uh, a 113 ERA in July, a 291 ERA in August, and then September, October, it was not the greatest at 497, then due in part to a couple of fairly poor starts there down the stretch. But overall, we saw at times this season, Reed Detmer's really giving you elite production, uh, specifically at times down the stretch in the second half. He ended up with a 3.77 ERA, only seven wins in 25 games. And like we talked about a second ago with Sandoval, there's going to be more potential for wins next year. I think this team made some good moves in the offseason. And, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And then, you know, they fooled us a million times now, the Angels, into thinking they're going to be good. Maybe they will you know, have another shitful season. It's totally possible. I also really am expecting some improvement from them, though, as well. I don't really think we're going to see another low 70s win season. I think that the team is primed to do well this year. They're going to try and do what they can while they have Otani, while they have Mike Trout relatively healthy. I think they're going to do as much as they can, and I think this team is going to get more wins because of that, and yada, yada, yada. I think Reed Detmers will be somebody who benefits from that along with the rest of the starters there. 377 ERA, the indicators all within reason there. 405 XERA, 379 FIP, 420 XFIP, and his Sierra was at 412. All within range there of what he gave you. I think you can expect something within spit and distance of 377. Steamer's calling for 417. I think that that's probably fairly close uh, to what you could expect. Maybe even a little bit lower with Reed Detmers. He's giving you league average strikeout and walk numbers. He's he's a, just a fairly safe floor pick, I think. And there's also potential for him to improve as he gets a little bit older. We're still talking about a guy who's 23 years old. He's still very young and he showed really at multiple different times this year flashes of excellence. So I really don't mind drafting either Angels pitcher there around pick 215 where they're both going. I think it's I think it's pretty reasonable, honestly, for both of them. I'd rather have Sandoval at the price. I think there's some more potential for strikeouts there with him. But overall, I'm very happy to take a chance on, on either one of these guys right now. Moving along. Next up, I think we have a guy who is... I think there's a lot of unnecessary hate that goes around him and his name for whatever reason, even though he's really not that bad of a pitcher. He's had some bad luck. We're talking about Michael Kopech, and he's somebody where, yes, uh, the underlying numbers were not good this year. He gave you a 354 ERA, a 394 XERA, 450 FIP, which is brutal, and a 483 XFIP. Really not good numbers despite the 354 ERA. Now, he really lost all of his strikeouts that he showed the potential for in 2021 and that we saw throughout his stretches in the minors that we were expecting for him to have in the majors. Uh, in 2021, over 69 innings, 13.37 strikeouts per nine, 36% strikeout rate. This year, it was down to 7.9 strikeouts per nine and a 21% strikeout rate. Really, really brutal. His walk rate went up from 8.4% to 11.5. His strikeout minus walk percentage went from 27.7 down to 9.7, which is, honestly, it, it's just absolutely terrible. There's no real way to defend it. The, re, the really weird thing with him, and it comes down to the strikeouts, it's not really that weird, I guess, it's just kind of eye-opening, is that in 2021, when he was dominant by all, by all accounts, he was incredibly good. He had a 350 ERA. This year, he also had a 350 ERA, 354, but the indicators in 2021 were 283, 297, and 299. 
Like it's the completely different story in terms of what they're telling you. And a lot of that is the strikeout percentage. And a lot of that also comes from the decrease in the velocity that he had. Of course, that will lead to fewer strikeouts. He went from throwing 95, 96, even averaging 97 last year on his fastball to averaging about 95 this year. Now he did have a shoulder injury. I think he had knee surgery as well at the beginning of the off season. So I honestly think you give him the off season to get right. And we can see something closer to what we saw in 2021 and prior with Michael Kopech. I think there is a lot of potential to be had, especially considering the draft price, 259. That is incredibly cheap for somebody where we have seen really great stretches for him in the past. So I, I'm not going to be out on him like a lot of people have been, despite you know the decrease in velocity, it's not good. At this price, I think it makes sense. I think it doesn't make as much sense if you're in a DC. I think I would take a chance on him in a shallower format. So if you're in a 10 and 12 team league, like we've talked about a lot on the show He's somebody where I would take a shot with your last draft pick. One of your last two draft picks, maybe. If you're talking a standard 12-team league, you know, 22, 23, 24, however many people you have on your roster, they're doing on your league, your commissioner and whatnot. I would take him as one of your last picks because I think there's a huge upside to be had there. Not to say that he is a sure thing. He's not. There is a potential for him to give you, you know, kind of a season that's closer to what the indicators told us that is potentially going to happen. But at the same time, he's just a year removed from giving you fantastic numbers. I'm willing to buy in because the price is so low. 259 for me at that point. Like in a DC, it's still fairly early on. There are still some other names that you're going to be more comfortable with. But, you know, last draft pick, dart throw in a 12-teamer, I'd be all for him at this point. So call me in on Michael Kopech, assuming that the price doesn't move around too much. And I, I really don't expect it to. There's no reason for people to get too excited or f- drop him down too much outside of maybe some some news that comes out. I don't know. If there's some kind of injury or something, sure, people people would move him down. Or if there's you know reports of increased velocity, they'd move him up, I guess. But I'm assuming he's going to stay roughly in this range, and I would be in on draft day considering uh, it's 260 right now. I mean, it, it's it's really cheap on him. So so keep that reminder uh, when you're getting later into your drafts. Next up, we are going to talk about Charlie Morton. A couple of old guys actually went after the other here. First off, Charlie Morton. So he's coming off a year where it was honestly really hard to be a Charlie Morton manager. There were times when you were very happy about it. There were times when you you truly wanted to drop him and wanted nothing to do with him. So it really started, I guess, in I guess in June, early in June, when he started striking out batters at, at a crazy rate that he wasn't doing earlier in the season. Uh, the, I mean, it doesn't even really show up so much when you look at by the month because it fluctuated so much. But there is a couple of games here, and I'm just pulling up the game log. Uh, early in June, so he went from early in the season striking out five, four, three kind of batters. It was typically five or four batters struck out per game. There was one game at the beginning of May where he struck out nine batters, and then there was another game early in June where he struck out eight. And then that really started a stretch for him there over the course of June where he struck out eight, 12, nine, 11, and then five, and then 10. And then the numbers kind of stabilized at a higher number there for the rest of the season. And those three and four and fives became fives and sixes and sevens. There were still a couple of stinkers mixed in there. There was a couple of fours. But for the most part, uh, we saw him increase those strikeouts as the season went on. 
Now, I am historically a, a, a decent, not a, a big Morton guy. Like, I like him. I think that he is somebody who gives you a lot of innings. Typically, he can win a lot of ball games over these last few years. He's been on really good teams. I mean, he was on the Astros during their World Series runs 2017, and then he was on them again in 2018. He pitched for Tampa in 2019. Obviously, a really good year for them. 2020, short year, you throw it away, obviously. And these last two years in Atlanta, he gave you good win, potential good win numbers, 19 or 4. Jesus, it was 14 and 9. I was going to say 19 and 4. Uh, 14 wins in 2021 and 9 wins in 2022 for him. And there is going to be that potential, obviously, pitching for the Braves. And that's something that you have to consider. I, I don't love to look at it like exclusively. But if you just think about you know taking somebody who pitches for Atlanta versus somebody who pitches for the Nationals or whatever similar quality pitcher, you're going to obviously take the guy who pitches for Atlanta. Now, Morton is currently slotted in as the third guy in the rotation, according to Fangraph's roster resource. Now, it currently has Spencer Strider as the fourth guy there. I, I, I don't think that's going to be the case, but just like to think about how rich you have to be uh, in your rotation to have a guy like Spencer Strider listed as the four guy when most teams in baseball, probably 24 or 25 of them, would trot him out there as the opening day starter for next year. It's incredible. Uh, I think there is still a possibility of that, by the way. I would expect him to be like the two guy, maybe right three, maybe Morton four. But in that rotation, you're going to see a lot of win potential again for Charlie Morton. Even though you didn't really see it so much this year, he won nine games over 172 innings. It was because he was a little bit inconsistent. And that is the one drawback with Morton. Well, it's, there's two of them, really. It's the inconsistency over these last couple of years. Good years and bad years mixed in together. Hard to know what's going to come up any given season. And also the fact that he's just turned 39 years old. So, you know, he has a lot of tread on the tires. We talked about it yesterday with Lance Lynn. 1,700 innings for Lynn, I believe, is what the number was. We're just shy of 1,800 here for Charlie Morton. So it is something that we have to consider. If you look at over his last four years, the ERAs have gone from 305 to 474 to 334 to 434. So I guess by that measure... He's due for a good season, I suppose. But, you know, at this age, I, I don't know that I'm going to be that interested. Like, I, I might have a couple of shares. The price is all right at 178 But the real big theme over these last couple of days for us has been how much value there is past pick. You know, there's that pocket there. We've talked about ad nauseum at this point between pick 60, roughly 60, 65, and like 140. There's a real great range of starting pitchers there that you can take. And then there's a bit of a dead zone again, and it kind of picks up. Morton here is is more so in that dead zone for me. I guess he is somebody that you could take a chance on. I would rather take somebody who's probably a little bit younger, who, you, you know, there's still a decent floor with Morton, but somebody who has probably a little bit of a higher floor as opposed to him, like in this range. Uh, who else would I take over him here? I uh, Let me just sort by pitchers here. I just sorted by... All players. There are a lot of players to parse through, man. That's the thing with fantasy baseball and baseball in general. There are more players you have to worry about than any other sport, which is something that really smacks you around, especially like myself covering basketball as well. Uh, there are so many more players to cover in baseball. Like Charlie Morton is the 74th overall pitcher. And, you know, it's, it's easy to argue that there's only 75 to 100 really truly valuable players in fantasy basketball at all. It's, it's a crazy, crazy difference. But apologies there for the, the little rant there. So Morton is going as the 74th pitcher, 178 overall pick off the board. There are guys like we talked about yesterday, John Gray at 109. There's also Brady Singer at 194. 
Edward Cabrera at 206. There's Patrick Sandoval at 213. Like we mentioned, 218, we have Reed Detmers. There is a lot more value as you head down the board. Even Kodai Senga, who's I think his recent price has been a little bit higher than this, but 238 is where he's averaging out. Uh, give me Kodai Senga, I think, and that relative unknown, younger unknown over what we know of Charlie Morton. Like, I, I like him, and I, I feel a little bit conflicted one way or the other because we see good seasons from him even into his older age here. Like, we saw a good year at age 37 from him. Age 35, he was nearly the Cy Young winner. Like, we've seen really good stuff from him as he's gotten older. But I think there are some safer guys given that price range. So, uh, overall, I think that of all the players we're going to talk about today, I'm probably going to be more out than in on him. Not to say don't draft him, but with caution and more so if he's going to fall in drafts. Next guy we're going to talk about is another one of the old guard who I believe is entering into what will likely be his last major league season. I didn't even really expect him to pitch this season. Uh, Even, you know, these last couple of years, he could have retired at any point. I don't think that anybody would have been surprised or held it against him. Adam Wainwright is who we are going to be discussing. Now he has a one-year $17.5 million contract. I forget Uh, if that was signed during the season or when it ended. I can't remember now exactly. But I think it's probably going to be the last night or the last year uh, for Adam Wainwright in Major League Baseball. Now, over this last couple of years, he's rejuvenated himself. And from 2016 to 2019, he was looking like he was going to go out the back door in terms of his career after giving you just an incredible start from 20, uh, 2006 to 2015. Just incredible numbers. He, he was injured in 2015, missed most of the year. Didn't really look the same when he came back until 2020 in that short season. And then he looked really good. People weren't really buying into it. And then in 2021, he did it again. And then people still weren't really buying into it. He did it again here in 2022, albeit you know not great strikeout numbers. But overall, he's been giving you great, great ratios. Like his ERA over the last three seasons, 315, 305, and 371. The whips, 105, 106. And this year, a little bit higher, granted, at 128. But still perfectly reasonable uh, considering where you're drafting Adam Wainwright. Like he's another old guy, and it's something that you have to worry about, obviously. But he's been pretty consistent in his older age, where with you know with Charlie Morton, just to juxtapose that, like his older years, and granted, not even as older as not even as old as Wayne, right? Like 36, 35, really, until he's 38. Those years have fluctuated in terms of his value quite a bit. Wainwright from age 38 to 40 has been pretty consistent. And there is going to be a cliff at some point. The indicators are a little bit higher than his actual numbers. You're typically seeing them about a run, half a run or so above the actual numbers. But he's also somebody who doesn't get a lot of strikeouts, and those indicators do tend to favor strikeout pitchers. Like, you wouldn't be taking him four for the Ks whatsoever. It's 17.8% strikeout rate this year. And he was never a big strikeout guy to begin with. Always about league average, a little bit below. Not a strength of his at all. But at this point, like, that's probably his worst category Pitching in St. Louis, you can expect victories, at least 10, 12 of them. Like Steamer hasn't projected for 10 of them. I think that that's fairly reasonable. Uh, you know, that's probably about the bottom, though, honestly. Like, if he pitches a full season close to it, what he's been doing recently, which has been 191 and 206 innings, respectively, over these last two years, like, you can expect something probably kind of similar, assuming he's healthy. And I think that 10 wins is about the fewest that you could expect from him. Every year in his career pitching for this team, pretty much like 10 wins. He's only like he's only been below 10 wins. Let me just see over the course of a full season. 
Uh, I don't think he's ever been below it. Yeah, he has never been below it over the course of, of a full year, and he's been a guy who's thrown 200 innings pretty much like most of the years in his career where he's been healthy. So assuming he is healthy, you're looking at probably 12, 13 victories, somewhere in the neighborhood of a 3.75 to 4 ERA, you know, probably a 1-2, 1-2-5 kind of whip with, you know, obviously fairly low strikeout numbers. But you're not paying for him, really. 3.72 is the price on him right now. Like there's, that's really not bad at all. If you're talking like your standard 12 teamers, I, I don't know that he's going to even be drafted in a lot of them. Like he might be in that last draft pick territory for you, depending. I mean, those leagues haven't really opened up yet, most of them. But if you do get to that range, that's probably, I think, a pretty decent bet to take Adam Wainwright, hoping that you can lower your ratios a bit and get you some victories. I, I really think that it's a pick that has the good potential of paying off. So Adam Wainwright here, pick 372 on average. I'd be totally fine with taking a shot on him. There's a wide variance in his minimum and maximum picks as well. Justin, I believe I still have it just at the draft champions here. Yeah, I have it set the draft champions. And in this particular format, the minimum pick is 297. The maximum pick is 644. So there's not really a lot of consensus on where he's going yet. If you can take him lower than where he's going by ADP, then by all means, go ahead and take a shot, especially if you get past pick 400. There's really not so much you can lose on him there, assuming, like always, that he is healthy. But that's a risk you take with everybody. Of course, the risk is a little bit bigger when you're talking about somebody who is 41 years old and his birthday, oh, his birthday just passed recently, so he'll be 41 throughout next season. Not that it really matters, I guess, when your birthday is exactly, but he won't be turning 42 if that gives you any more peace of mind uh, heading into next season. There's still potential for some decent fantasy value, especially considering the price. So let's move on now. Let's talk about somebody who honestly was probably watching Adam Wainwright when he was a little kid here. We're talking about Justin Steele. Well, I guess the age range isn't quite as big as I thought. I would have thought Justin Steele was a little bit younger than he is. 27 years old. I honestly thought he was a little bit younger. He spent quite a few years in the minor leagues, but he got his chance over these last couple of seasons, specifically this past year. He got a chance to be in the rotation for most of the season, and he took that opportunity by the horns and gave you a 3.18 ERA. His uh, pitching indicators, very good as well, 3.20 FIP, 3.59 XERA, 3.48 XFIP, and his Sierra was looking like 3.81. So gave you very strong pitching indicators. He gave you, granted, probably a little bit higher walk rate than you would have wanted at 9.8, but he also gave you decent strikeouts at about 20, just about 25%. So you'll, you'll take what he gave you there. His win total, fairly low, only four of them in 24 games. But that's going to happen when you pitch for the Cubbies. Uh, they're not a good team. That's something that you're going to have to kind of sacrifice. We mentioned it a little bit yesterday in terms of Marcus Stroman. His draft price is 271. Steele is pick 301. I would much rather take a chance on Justin Steele a couple of rounds later. There's a lot more upside to be had there. You're, I mean, Stroman is not – I'm probably lower than him on him than most people. I think a lot of people are probably going to be disagreeing with that take. But I'd be a lot more interested in taking Justin Steele, considering the upside, considering how good he was in his first real chance. We don't have the injury history that we have with Marcus Stroman. We don't have, I mean, I mean, maybe I am a little biased against Marcus Stroman, I guess, as I talk it through. There's not so much to dislike, per se. I think there's just more to like 
about Justin Steele, and I guess I go out of my way to talk about Strowman. Maybe there is something in there that I just don't particularly like about him. I don't know what it is, but I, I would definitely take Steele, considering especially that you're getting him a couple of rounds later. Uh, I think he can probably get the walk rate down a little bit farther. We saw it a little bit higher in 2021. I mean, it's still bad, 10.9 down to 9.8. But the fact that he was able to lower it, he got the strikeouts up and the walks down. That's always a good combination to see. And I think considering the price, he is another guy where it makes a lot of sense to make a dart throw pick in one of your last couple of rounds in a shallower format. And if you're talking a deeper format, I still think it makes sense here as a middle round pick as some innings insurance. Now, how much is he going to pitch after only throwing 119 innings? I think that there's a chance for him to get somewhere near what Steamer is saying at 143. I think that if you're making projections, probably... In 150 range makes a lot of sense for Justin Steele, and they should be fairly quality innings with fairly average uh, strikeout and walk numbers. Maybe, okay, walks a little bit higher than average, but I think considering everything else that he does and the upside, uh, I'd be willing to take a chance on him here at pick 301. Now, the last guy we are going to talk about, the last pitcher that we are going to go over here in our pitching reviews, if you guys have followed me on Twitter, if you guys have listened to the pods for a while, this is somebody that I was very big on the entire season, heading even in last season. Even I didn't do the podcast or to have any platform last season, but this is somebody that I've been big on now for a couple of seasons. We're talking about Alex Cobb. I spent a lot of the year telling people, don't drop him. Please keep Alex Cobb. If he was dropped, pick him up. I, I was a huge fan of his, and there was a number of reasons why. His indicators, for one, were a lot better than what he was actually giving you in terms of ERA. And they were last year as well. So let's start with 2021 real quick. He had a 376 ERA, but his FIP was 292, his XFIP was 338, and his Sierra was 383. So, okay, the 383, it's just a touch higher than what you're getting with the ERA. But the other one's quite a bit lower. Everything there was in line with good, solid production when he was on the Angels. Then he goes to a team like San Francisco that we have talked up quite a bit over the course of this series, of this, I mean, this series, this podcast, in terms of how great they are with rejuvenating pitchers. They take guys from different locations. They tinker around a little bit. And certain little things change that make them just that much better. Kevin Gosman, Carlos Rodon, uh, Alex Wood, Alex Cobb, uh, there's a couple more examples as well I can't think of off the top of my head. But there's pitchers that go in there, they tinker with a couple things, and they come out different pitchers, essentially. And Alex Cobb, you know, he gave you similar ERA, sure, but we saw across the board this season lower indicators. 315 on the XERA, 280 on the FIP, 289 on the XFIP, and 315 on the Sierra. Really excellent to have all those indicators so low. The question that a lot of people have with him is how many innings will you get? There's been a lot of injury concerns with him over the course of his career this season. He did give you 28 starts, though. So I think we have to look at that as a really positive sign. And again, I've said this ad nauseum at this point. Past health is not an indicator of future health. You will see players play their entire career and not get hurt. And then there will be a season where they, they get hurt in the first week of the year and they miss most of the season. That kind of thing does happen. Then you, of course, see players who are injury-prone for many years, and then they play an entire season, and then they're no longer injury-prone. It does happen. But you have to look at this past season where he gave you just shy of 150 innings. I think that that's a pretty good indicator that he can give you something similar to that going forward. So Steamer, I, I don't agree with them all the time. 
I do have my differences with Steamer, especially with pitchers, but they're projecting him for 166 innings, and I think you can be cautiously optimistic he's going to give you that. With what they're projecting as a 347 ERA and a 1.25 whip, I think that that is totally reasonable to expect, and if he gives you that, then I would expect him to be completely worth his draft price, which right now is 251 in draft champions. I think that that is a total bargain for him. He's listed as the number two man in this rotation, and granted, this team is not going to be as good as we might have hoped for a week ago or two weeks ago. It's just not going to be the case anymore. They've not, they're not going to get Carlos Correa. They don't have Aaron Judge. But we're still looking at a decent lineup that added Michael Conforto, that added Mitch Hanniger to go along with guys like Jock Peterson, Mike Yastrzemski, uh, Tyro Estrada, you know, Wilson, uh, Wilmer Flores doesn't do much. But, you know, J.D. Davis can give you probably some decent production. Joey Bart is still growing into his own. Maybe Brandon Crawford has another good season. There's still potential for this team to be very good, and I think Alex Cobb is going to be a huge piece of that puzzle. So he is somebody that I'm definitely going to be targeting again next year. I am one of his biggest fans, probably in the fantasy baseball community. He is somebody that I love to watch pitch, and I think he just he's just so unlucky. That's something I haven't even pointed out here. He was one of the most unlucky pitchers in all of baseball, a 336 BABIP and a 68% left on base percentage. Both were among the worst marks in all of baseball and something that he's kind of been struggling with for these last two seasons. But he even gets closer to where he's been in his career. 297 BABIP, 72 left on base percentage. You know, that seems like a small increase or decrease. 4 or 5% on the left on base. And, you know, but the BABIP, 30, 35 points could be potentially on the on the table there if he just gets back to his average, which is essentially league average, 297. That's generally the BABIP that you're going to allow as a major league pitcher. I'm really, really interested in Alex Cobb at his price. I think that number will regress back to normal, and he's somebody that you should be taking a shot on here in the middle rounds. And again, when you're talking shallower leagues, he is right in that range again at 250 of being one of your last two draft picks. You take a shot on him. I think it will likely work out. If it doesn't work out, then you drop him anyway. Typically, you just drop your last couple of draft picks throughout the course of the season anyway, but there's a decent chance that Alex Cobb is somebody who will maintain roster status, rosterable fantasy status throughout the entire season. So I'm going to be very, very interested in taking him at his current price. Guys, that's going to wrap it up for me. I hope you guys have enjoyed these starting pitching reviews. I didn't go quite as long as I thought I was going to go today. I thought I would go a little bit longer than 35 minutes, but it's all right. We packed in a lot of information, I think, I hope, into the show. Uh, if you think so, if you agree, let me know down below in the comments section of whatever podcast platform it is you use, whether it's Google, Spotify, any other re- platform that allows reviews. I would really appreciate that. You guys can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99, at EthosFantasyBB as well. If you're going to send me messages, send them to the Joe Orico account. But follow EthosFantasyBB for all of our new content on the baseball side. We're just shy of 200 followers. We got a couple of retweets in the last couple of days that have pushed us pretty close uh, to the 200 follower mark. Go ahead and drop one on there if you don't mind. It will be my Christmas present from you guys to me uh, to go ahead and follow Ethos Fantasy BB. I really appreciate all the support over there. Guys, we are going to be back here tomorrow afternoon, like I have talked about, with Greg Jewett. We're recording somewhere in the late, mid to late afternoon here on the East Coast. I think it'll be somewhere around 3 o'clock, so look for the podcast to hit your feeds probably in the 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern hour. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you again tomorrow with Greg Jewett. Take care.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.